0: Tonight, we are looking at this historical narrative, this practical statesmanship of the prophet Isaiah and him interacting with King Hezekiah. If you want an outline to kind of break tonight up a little bit, In chapters 36 and 37, we see an invasion. The Assyrians are coming into Judah, wanting to take out the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 38, we're going to see that Hezekiah gets an illness and cries out to the Lord and We'll see it in a second, and then chapter thirty nine. He gets an inquiry from the nation of Babylon, and how that interacts into Jewish history. And then we'll just end with one verse there, Second Kings twenty twenty one, as we look at his immoral son, a guy by the name of Manasseh. Except for David and Solomon, no king of Judah is given more attention or commendation in the scriptures than King Hezekiah. There are 11 chapters devoted to him between 2nd Kings, 2nd Chronicles, and here in the book of Isaiah. 2nd Kings chapter 18 verse 5 says of Hezekiah, "He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor were before him" Hezekiah, as we looked at a little earlier tonight, began his reign in 729 BC. And it was a godly reign. He restored the temple, the worship therein. He destroyed the idols that his dad, King Ahaz, had put there. He was a good, godly man. But, like all of us, Hezekiah did have his flaws. If you remember from our like tour of the nations last week... The big bad dog on the world scene at this time was the nation of Assyria. They were the world empire, as Isaiah is writing, and they were on a a a, a trek through the known world, conquering nations. They had conquered Edom. They had conquered Moab. They were heading to Egypt to conquer them, and right in the way, right in the way, was the city of Jerusalem. In 2 Kings, we read that Hezekiah, at first, he tried to throw off the yoke of Assyria that his dad kind of had, his dad had kind of linked up with Assyria. And Hezekiah, wanting to be a godly king, wanting to do things God's way, he threw off the yoke of Assyria. But when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he saw that he threatened to attack Jerusalem and burn it to the ground. And Hezekiah, as a young king, had a lapse of faith. He tried to bribe Sennacherib with a tribute. And Sennacherib accepts the tribute, he accepts the bribe, but then broke the treaty anyways and invaded Judah in 701 BC. And I say all of that because then Isaiah 36-39 through 39 tells us what happens next. The treaty's been broken. <laughs> Hezekiah tries to give him some tribute. He takes the money the king of Assyria does and says, I'm burning your city to the ground anyway. And look what happens next, chapter 36. Now it came to pass in the, in the 14th year of Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to Fuller's Fuller's Field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, was over the household. And Sheba the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to meet him. Then Rabshakeh said to them, say now to Hezekiah. Thus says the great king. Oh boy, here we go. If you ever start a letter, don't start it. Thus says the great... Anyways, um, although that's coming from a guy that said the good-looking... Anyways, but I say to you, speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Verse 6, look... You're trusting in the staff of this broken reed Egypt on if which a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship, you shall worship before this altar? Now therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you two thousand horses. If you're able to, on your part, to put riders on them, he's mocking them. Could you even put warriors on horses that I gave to you? Verse nine. How then will you repel one Captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Have I come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim and Shibna and Joah said to Rebshekah, please speak to your servants in Aramaic for we understand it, but do not speak to us in Hebrew. Aramaic was kind of the common language of the world of that day, kind of like English is, is today. Aramaic was the common language and, they, and they, they said speak to us because we understand it but the people the people were speaking Hebrew don't, don't speak in Hebrew speak in Aramaic and then verse 12 the Rabshekah said has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you wow verse 13 then the rabbi stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew <laughs> he doesn't care hear the words of the great king the king of Assyria Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a a present and come out to me. Every one of you eat from his own vine and every one of you his own fig and every one of you drink from the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own a land of grain and new wine a land of bread and vineyards where you'll be slaves. He doesn't say that, but verse 18, "'Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, "'saying the Lord will deliver us. "'Has any has any one of the gods of the nations "'delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? "'Where are the gods of Hemath and Arpad? "'Where are the gods of Surveim? "'Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? "'Who among all the gods of these lands "'have delivered their countries from my hand, "'that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand?' But they held their peace, answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshekah. We are really going to see Hezekiah's growth as a leader in this section tonight. For the first time, as we mentioned earlier, when he faced Assyria and 2 Kings, he started by trying to appease them and compromise with the enemy. And that gains him nothing. And by the way, do you know if you compromise with the enemy, the same thing's going to happen to your life? When we try to capitulate, whether it comes to sin, oh, if I just give in one more time, How many times the enemy told you that? Just one more time, just one more drink, just one more drunken binge, just one more lustful, you know, fling, and then I will never bother you again. Can we be mature enough to know that isn't true? (laughs) The flesh will never be satisfied. Oh, it has that lie. It says that's the way the truth is gonna be, but sin is never satisfied. Your flesh will never be satisfied. That's why biblically, you're never told to find your best self, take care of your, you're told to crucify your flesh. It needs to die. It needs not to be compromised with. And those of you that want to be leaders, you need to see this. They paid Assyria off. Assyria didn't go away. They came back even stronger and they send three representatives. And by the way, these names listed in these chapters aren't their actual names. Tartan means supreme commander. Uh, Rabsharis means chief officer and rabsheka it means the field commander so these are titles of the Assyrian generals and army leaders as they're coming through the world heading to Egypt but right now they're at the city of Jerusalem Assyria starts challenging them and the people who are you going to trust in who are you going to trust in Egypt they're like a broken reed you can't trust in them You can't trust in your God for Hezekiah has offended your God. Now when Rabshakeh starts, he's making sense. You can't trust in Egypt. That's exactly what Isaiah has been saying, by the way. Remember in chapter 20 when Isaiah goes around naked for three years? Remember why he did that? It wasn't because he was an exhibitionist. That wasn't why. It's because God told him, you walk around naked for three years so the people will know if they trust in Egypt, this is how they'll end up, naked in bondage to assyria so isaiah would say amen don't trust in don't trust in egypt but that's where the agreement between isaiah and these assyrians would stop because the next thing they say is you can't trust in your god because hezekiah has torn down all of his altars so he's not on your side friend do you see they're getting it exactly backwards Exactly backwards. Hezekiah had brought reforms and the Lord was pleased with those reforms. But to a pagan, taking down all the altars of the pagan gods would have been an offense to the heavens. So in Rabshakeh's mind, Judah had no help on earth. Egypt had just been decimated. Judah had no help in heaven. But of course, he had it all wrong, which the world so often does. There was a staff pastor here at our church who was doing a funeral, and, and, and as so many of our guys do at a funeral, the opportunity arose to, to you know preach the gospel, to preach the gospel in love, to preach the gospel to people who are thinking about death in that moment. It's a very normal occurrence at a funeral. However, we then got a letter, a letter from a family member here at the church that wanted to inform us, just so you know. One of your staff preachers used a funeral to tell people to come to Christ. That pastor should be dealt with. <laughs> dealt with. Like he needs a raise? Like I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like dealt with, that's what we want. We want people at a funeral faced with death to say, hey, not not screaming evangelism. I'm the only one that screams. But just to say, hey, we're all not going to live forever. Have you thought about your eternal soul? That's what we want shared at a funeral. So we're not going to deal with anybody that does that other than to pat them on the back and say, good job. But the world's got it backwards. You need to punish them. Deal with them. They dared to preach the gospel at a funeral. And that's the same thing is doing. You can't trust in the Lord because you've torn down all those pagan altars. The Lord's like, that's exactly why I'm listening to to Hezekiah at this moment. But then, but then, but then, Rabshakeh goes even further. First of all, he's on the same page with with, with Egypt. They shouldn't trust in Egypt. Then he's misguided when he says, God's not on your side. You've torn down the altars of all these pagan gods. Totally, totally missing the boat, Rabshakeh. But then, then, here's where he makes the mistake. Then he says, who is the God of Jerusalem? We've whooped the God of the Moabites. We've whooped the God of the uh, the Ammonites. We've whooped all the other gods. We whooped the gods of Samaria. Who is your God to stand against us? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Rabshakeh, you are about to find out. Well, the people hearing all this, it says they said not a word. Oh, Rabshakeh was promising them, you can go into your own land. You can have your own vineyards. We'll take care of you if you just surrender to us. The problem was Assyria had a track record that everyone knew. That's not what they did when they invaded a city. They didn't just let everyone live peaceably. Again, as we've detailed so many times, this was a wicked nation of people. They had devised a special way to impale humans, where it would take 48 hours for the pole to move its way through your body before it killed you. The women were ravished. And if they wanted to keep you alive after ravishing you, they would take a hook and put it in your jaw and drag you back to Nineveh. That's what they meant by, we'll bring you to a land just like yours with a giant hook in your mouth with no clothes on. That's what they meant. And so the people, the people, hearing this, knowing the history, knowing the command of Hezekiah, it says, they answered him not a word. And I just point that out to you because you know what I think? I think that's a great way to deal with our enemies. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 says that we're not to answer a fool according to his folly. That's just good. Sometimes you just can't reason with people, can you? <laughs> they're so ridiculous in what they say. So ridiculous in their, their reasoning of why they're upset at you, why you've offended them. Why? I mean, sometimes they're so ridiculous, there's nothing you can say. And sometimes that's the best thing to do is just don't even answer the fool in his folly. I think that's also true with our enemy. Our enemy is no fool, but he certainly is a liar, and he loves to tell us things that are not true about God, that are not true about ourselves, that are not true about our future. And some churches say, you know, speak to the demons. Talk down the, the, the enemy. I'm not so sure that's the best idea. I, it was Jay Vernon McGee that said, when Satan knocks at the door of my mind, I turn to Jesus and say, it's for you. <laughs> i like that <laughs> that's way better you know satan's coming after my mind the enemy's after me hey jesus the door is for you that's the way to deal with things let the lord deal with it watch 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 it's exactly what hezekiah does chapter 37 and so it was when king hezekiah heard it He tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. So he's mourning, but he's not in his bedroom. He's not with his friends. He goes to the house of the Lord. And then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household and Shibna the scribe and the elders of the priests to cover the sackcloth and went to Isaiah. He said, come on, friend, come on, friend. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Reb Shekha, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Hezekiah says, pray. Pray for us. Let's pray together, Isaiah. And so the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah sent to them, says, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words of which you heard, for which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, that he should hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Resheka returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. And he heard that he departed from, from Lachish. And the king heard uh, concerning uh, Turkna, the king of Ethiopia. He has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying Jerusalem will not be given in the hand of the king of Assyria. I know it looks like God's working. Don't you trust your God, verse 11. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done of the lands by utterly destroying them, how shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered uh, whom my father have destroyed in Gozan and Haran and Rizpah and the people of Eden who were in Teleazar? Where's the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the cities of, of the city of Seraphim and Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it, and what did he do? Hezekiah again went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord God of hosts of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you alone, you alone are wise of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth incline your ear, O Lord, and hear and open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire, but they were not gods. They were the works of men's hands of wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. And then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus is the Lord of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Shenecharib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord spoke concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you and laughed you to scorn the daughter of Jerusalem, has shaken her head behind your back, whom you reproached in blaspheme against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars, its choice cypress trees. I will enter its furthest height and its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water with the soles of my feet. I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for the crushing of fortified cities into ho- in heaps of of ruin, therefore their inhabitants have little power, and they were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and green herbs, and the grass of the housetops. The grain blighted before the before, the, before its grown. But I know your dwelling place. He's been saying, I raised you up, Assyria. I raised you up to to kind of kind of plow through the Middle East there and bring judgment, but. Verse twenty eight, but I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and you're rage against me, because your rage against me and your tumult have come to my ears. Therefore I will I will put my hook in your nose. Oh, you like to put hooks in people's mouth? I will put my hook in your nose, and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way that you came, and this shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year, such as grows of itself, and the second year which springs of the same, in the third year you shall sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat eat the fruit of them and the remnant of the escape from the house of judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward from out of jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from mount zion the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this he tells israel you've got a next year and the year after that and a year after that what a comforting thing when a hundred and eighty-five thousand assyrian warriors are at your front door Verse 38, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it by the way he came, the same way he shall return and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it and my own sake and for my servant David's sake. I bet when Hezekiah said that, he just jumped for joy. Praise the Lord. Now, look at verse 36, how the Lord fulfills this promise. Because that's, that's a miracle what God just said, by the way. Don't, don't let that escape your attention. That's a miracle. You have 185,000. How long does it take to count to 185,000? It's a long time. Each one of those trained soldiers who want to kill you or worse to you. And God says, they're not even going to shoot an arrow in here. Well, they're not going to go away, God. <laughs> you don't go to a city just to go, just want to say hi. <laughs> What's God going to do to fulfill his miraculous word? By the way, maybe you tonight, God's given you a word. And you look at yourself, maybe like Abraham and Sarah did. You look at your situation like maybe Isaiah and Hezekiah did. And you go, uh, Lord, I believe you because you said it. But this is going to take a miracle. Church, I got good news tonight. That's what God does. He does miracles. That's who he is. Amen? That's who he is. Oh, look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Look at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 and when the people rose early in the morning, they're all the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. <laughs> he didn't have an army anymore. Of course he did. And went away and returned home and remained in Nineveh. Now it happened when he was worshiping in the house of, of Nisroch, his god, that his sons Adramelech and Shehazar struck him down with the sword and they escaped in the land of Ararat. And then Arshadon, his son, reigned in his place. Hezekiah at the start of this chapter is facing horrible, horrible circumstances. 185 Assyrian warriors wanting to kill him. But what he does is such an important lesson and model for you and me. He takes his fear, he takes his doubt right to the Lord. Right to the Lord. He takes this letter that they gave him and he just lays it out before the Lord. I know we were in 2 Kings not too long ago and so we kind of dealt with this story already, but this this just bears repeating because I think there's a lesson at least I need to hear over and over again. There's an interesting prophecy in Luke chapter 21, verse 26, that says, in the last days, men's heart will fail because of fear. Literally, the word says anxiety, tensions. Isn't that a true statement of our world today? People are healing over right and left and one of the major causes is what stress worry anxiety but you know what the bible says something totally different doesn't it it says in philippians chapter four be anxious for some things that's not what it says (laughs) be anxious only when it's serious that's not what it says what does it say church well that's right be anxious for nothing 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 But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts. God says, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Repeat that with me. Be anxious for? Pray about? Be anxious for? Pray about? Be anxious for? for, pray about everything, so you know what to do, oh, 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 we know that, but then comes life, and I pray about nothing, (laughs) and I'm anxious about everything, and I wonder why my heart, and my mind, and my wrinkles, and listen, 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 the Lord loves you. Do you know that, church family, the Lord loves you? Like he's, he's into you. And I don't mean to make tonight about you, but it is true, isn't it? He loves you. Not just the general you, but you as an individual. He know, how do I know that? He knows weird stuff about you. I'm so into my bride. I love my wife. and I know details about her that I would never share on a Wednesday night. I know, I know, I know, I know that when she was young, she had a turtle named Mahershalel Hazbaz. Remember remember what Isaiah named? I told you you should name one of your kids that. She actually named one of her pets that when she was a child. I know that. You don't know that about her. You know I know that? Because I know stuff because I love her. I listen to her. God knows weird stuff about you. How do you know that? It says he knows the number of the hairs on your head. That's weird stuff. I don't know how I many hairs so I have. A, I, for some of us, it's easier than for others. But the reality is, the reality is, he knows. He knows. He, he knows weird stuff. He loves you, friends. Can we just rest that he's going to do the best? He's going to do the best. And when you find yourself with circumstances out of control, a letter from someone who's upset, a bill that you don't know how you're going to pay, what do we do? We take it to our friends, we take it to our room. Take it to the worry closet. How about we take it to the Lord? How about we lay it out before him? Hezekiah, he lays it out before the Lord. And notice, please, notice, please, he doesn't give God options. You see, if I take it to the Lord, if I take it to the Lord when I'm anxious, I usually also give God the multiple ways he can solve my problem. Did you notice Isaiah doesn't pray that? I mean, Hezekiah doesn't pray that. He doesn't say, Lord, here's how I see it Egypt, they still have a pretty good army. They could get ready. You can come help me. Let Egypt help me, God. Or Ethiopia, there are buddies. There are buddies down there. They could come up. They got an army. They can. Let's. Ethiopia, Lord. It's got to be one of the two E's either Egypt or Ethiopia. You pick, Lord. I'll be happy. That's he does. Because God didn't do any. God was. I think I'm gonna try angel. Like, do you think that was on Isaiah and Hezekiah's, like, option list? I know what you should do. You should send an angel, those cool people that worship you. I bet one of them could kill the entire Assyrian army. You know, there's no precedent for that in the scriptures. I mean, we read the story, and we go, oh, it's a good idea. <laughs> that's not, that had happened before. And the same thing's true with your situation and my situation. Sometimes we go, Lord, here I see option A and option B, so please pick one. Precious men and women, and I preach to myself as I preach to you, would you trust the Lord? Would you be anxious for nothing and pray about everything? Instead of, instead of being anxious for everything and praying about nothing. Trust the Lord. He loves you. He's for you. He's smarter than you too. Sorry if it hurts your feelings, but he is. He doesn't need the benefit of your insight. He's got it. He doesn't say, please see this, please see this. He doesn't say through Isaiah, because you gave me some acceptable options, Hezekiah, here's what I'm gonna do. He doesn't say, because you've never failed, Hezekiah, this is what I'm gonna do. He says, because you cried out to me, here's what I'm gonna do boy, we can, we can tuck that away tonight and run with that for a while. Now, I wish the story ended there. I really do. But there's two short chapters left and I want you to see them because it bears a huge impact on the lesson we just learned. Chapter 38, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus is the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. <laughs> Isaiah wasn't the most comforting of prophets. <laughs> God says, You're going to die. That's all I got. Verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray now, how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus is the Lord, the God of David, your father. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. And surely I will add your days 15 years. I will deliver you the city from the land, from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend the city. And thus there's a sign for you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing as he has spoken. Behold, I will bring a shadow of the sundial, which has gone down on the, on the sun, on the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. This is the writing of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I'm deprived for the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts it off from the loom. From the day until night, you make an end of me. I have considered until morning like a lion. And so he breaks all my bones from day until night. You make an end of me like a crane or a swallow. So I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he has himself done it. I shall walk carefully all of my years in the bitterness of my soul. Lord, all the things of men shall live and all the things of the life of my spirit. So you shall restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You have cast all my sins behind your back for Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for truth. The living and the living man shall praise you. As I do this day, O Father, will be known to your, your, your truth, to your children. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, he will sing my songs with strings and instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on his boil, and he shall recover. And Isaiah said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? And that hence is the sundial. I really wish the story ended with chapter 37, but it does not. Hezekiah gets sick, and Isaiah the prophet comes and tells him, get your house in order, for you are going to die. And this teaches me a couple of things. First of all, it teaches me that good godly people get sick. Sometimes you hear in the body of Christ that sickness is somehow related to lack of faith or rebellion. I will never forget when my precious wife had broken her foot, and I was having a myriad of health issues, that someone came up to me after the service and said, I need to know what you've done to upset God. You need to repent. And they weren't kidding. Like people said that in jest. This person was serious. What have you done to upset God? He's obviously judging you. His judgment. You want to see his judgment. I'll lay you out before the Lord. What are you? You can make for my, are you kidding me? But what, listen, I can't pray for me. I still have flesh, I do. It's still there. I want it to go, but it's still right there. there and someone says that and it just comes out. Sorry. But this passage shows that even someone like Hezekiah, a man who loved God, a man who lived his life to honor God, this man got sick. In church, We live in a fallen world with sin and sickness. It's a mistake to blame God or the godly for this. God didn't want there to be death and sickness. God didn't want there to be sin and sickness. In fact, he clearly told Adam and Eve what to avoid in all of that. It was man who rebelled. It was man who did this thing and brought on sin and death and sickness into the world. The other thing I notice is the fact that Isaiah tells Hezekiah to get his house in order because you're gonna die. Now again, it's horrible bedside manner, but it is good advice not to be morbid tonight, but unless the rapture of the church comes soon, which I hope it does, all of us will eventually die. Is your house in order? And I know we normally apply that financially, and that's good. That, that we should think about that. You know, again, none of all of us are in the same place, but are you driving your family into debt that when, when you die, they're never gonna be able to pull out of? You need to pray that through. That's not, that's not helping your family. Do you have the ability to get some life insurance? Again, I sound like a commercial tonight, but there is some practical things to consider. But even more than financially, is your house in order spiritually? Do your kids know the Lord? If they don't and they're out of the house, have you left them a testimony of what God has done in your life? Because they're gonna go through your stuff. And how great for some it would be just to hear or see a letter written to them written with tears in your eyes about your hope and prayer for them. I hope you're, you've set your house in order. God tells, Isaiah, or tells Hezekiah to do this and Hezekiah just begins to weep, like any of us would. Even the most godly of us, if we are told you're gonna die tomorrow, there's something that goes, ah, I wanna live. There's nothing, there's nothing sinful about that. But he does weep. In fact, he says, he says there in verse 14, he began to squawk like a bird. I mean, we're not talking about, well, Lord, it's been a good run. That's not what he's doing. He's literally like, that's what he's doing. He's squawking like a bird before the Lord. And God, God listens. Again, not because he was godly, not because, because he prays. And God gives him 15 more years and the sign that he gives him is he moves the sundial back 10 degrees. Now, when I read this passage, I'm so glad I'm not an astrophysicist because people with that degree, they look at it and go, oh, why, why could God, how could God, God would have to stop the rotation of the earth and actually spin it back and the oceans would all slosh out and we'd all fly off the planet and oh. I just don't think that way when I read the Bible. If you do, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're smart. But but just to challenge you a little bit, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. And that was thought, of course, to be constant. But now that we've discovered dark matter and black holes, we we realize there's gravitational forces that can actually slow the speed of light and actually divert it. So just a little... if black holes can move light, do you think the God of the universe has any problem just, just pushing light back 10 degrees without having to stop the earth? I, I mean, that'd be easier than destroying everything, wouldn't it? Just, <laughs> instead of everything crashing into the ocean, wouldn't it be better just to move light a little bit? Well, that's not physically possible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can get past that, Everything else is easy. Everything else is easy. I'm not saying there's clear answers for everything. I'm not saying that thinking people can't help and give good alternative suggestions. But sometimes we go, oh, I know that black holes can bend light, but God can't. Really? Really? He's God. He can do do whatever. He can figure out a way to stop the earth without the ocean sloshing out. He did stack them up on top of each other, didn't he? Have people walk through them? He can probably, he's God. He's God, he's God. So he tells Hezekiah, you get 15 more years. And that sounds like praise the Lord. But look at chapter 39 and we'll be done. Look at chapter 39. Oh, praise the Lord, I get 15 more years. Well, look what happens in that 15 years. At that time, Merdach-Baldan... Son of Beldan, <laughs> king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them, and he showed them the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment of all his armory that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all of his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where do they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. Oh, like country I've been prophesying against a little while earlier in your future? Anyways, verse four. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing of my treasures I have not shown them. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming in which your house And your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, he says, good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Kind of a weird ending to Hezekiah's story. Really quickly, please, please check with me for just a second. This representative from Babylon, which again isn't world power yet, but they will be within 100 years. They send a representative by the name of Muradak Beladan, which by the way means, I am a rebel and there is no God. Wow. Little tip tonight, absolutely free. If you meet somebody and their name is, I am a rebel and there is no God, just walk the other way. Don't, don't show him the combination to your safe. <laughs> don't loan him any money. I am a rebel and there is no God. Should not be a friend of yours. But Hezekiah, oh, cool name, <laughs> invites him in. Glad you're worried about me being sick. Shows them all the treasures of the Lord. And what happens is was prophesied by Isaiah It's not hard to see. This Merodach goes back to Babylon, says to his men, I went to Jerusalem. They are loaded with treasure. The days of Solomon, when they were the biggest nation around, a lot of wealth is still sitting there in their temple. And over the years, the rumors continue until King Nebuchadnezzar decides to do something about it, to invade Judah and take the spoil to Babylon. But this happened, please notice, after Isaiah prayed, heal me, and God gave him 15 more years. But that's not all that happened. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 21, we also read that in that 15 years, Hezekiah gave birth to a little terrorist by the name of Manasseh. And he literally was. You read his story, he is by far the wickedest king Judah ever had. The things that he did until the very end, just horrific, just Horrific. Again, born in the 15 years God gave Hezekiah. So, so again, this isn't a totally accepted thing. Some people say, what about the sovereignty of God? <laughs> what, about, what about the fact that he had to have a son and through his son came all these people? I, I, I see that, I get all of that. I mean, God could have still kept his promises through Hezekiah's brother. He was just as much a son of David as Hezekiah was. He didn't have to have King Manasseh to continue on God's promises. There still would have been a Jesus promise. But by saying, God, nope, this is the way it needs to be, he opens up the door to Babylon eventually coming and destroying them, and he gives birth to the worst king in Judah's history. And I say all of that just to end with this. Would it have been better for Isaiah to walk in to, Man- to, to Hezekiah and say, God said, set your house in order, you're gonna die. And for Hezekiah to go, be anxious about nothing, pray about everything, okay. If that's what God thinks is best, that's what God thinks is best. Would that have been a better? Some people would say no. I bet Isaiah would have said Yes. Remember, it's Manasseh that saws him in two. (laughs) I think Isaiah would have been very happy if that young man would have never been born. (laughs) Precious, precious men and women. We have to trust that God knows best. We have to trust. And personally, I believe that last line where Hezekiah says, the word of the Lord is good. Some people say he's being cruel. Some people say he's being cold-hearted in his old days. I think 2 Chronicles 30 gives us more insight than that. that. it's actually a statement of submission to God. Lord, I've learned. You told me something. I squawked. I blew it with Babylon, and I gave birth to a little terrorist. You've given me your word again. Now I simply say, it's good. Do your will in my life, God. Do your will. I think the takeaway lesson for us tonight is when God speaks into our lives, nothing wrong with crying out, Lord, I don't understand that. God, that scares me. That's fine. But there's gotta be something in us that trusts the will of God in our lives. It says in the Psalms, in the King James Version, it says that God only does wondrous things. And I love that. Like, that's, that's the only card he's got. He, he doesn't have like, well, here's what I'm gonna do just to make your life a frustrating mess. That, he doesn't have that card. He does wondrous things. And as you and I say, you love me, you do wondrous things, let's go for it, Lord. Lord. Listen, well off will you and I be. Will everything that God brings down our way make total sense? Nope. Will we understand everything until we step into glory? Probably not. But I know that God is good, don't you? I believe that he loves me, don't you? And it's time for us, in whatever situation you need to apply this to tonight, and all of us have them. All of us have our Assyrias, our sicknesses, our babylons we need to take that and say Lord I'm going to be anxious for nothing just pray pray and then just trust that your will is good not just in a general sense but your will is good for me for me I think that would bring him such pleasure tonight to see a room full of people that, and I don't mean any, any, any slight against Hezekiah, because I've never had God tell me you're going to die. I probably would squawk like a bird, too. But I think there would be great pleasure in the heart of God tonight if there wasn't a room full of squawking birds, but a room full of submitted saints. Say, Lord, do your will. Do your will. Because I know you're good, I trust you're good. That takes way more faith than demanding healing. That takes way more faith than demanding a change of circumstance. What faith to say, God, I rest upon your goodness. Father, enough said tonight. I I pray as we just meditate and think on this story tonight and apply it, because all of us can, to our own lives, that, Lord, there would be a realization that as you speak to us, we we can just pray about everything and truly be anxious for nothing, not just some things and major things, but for nothing, that we can rest and trust in the fact that you are good and you love us. And I do pray, I do pray tonight that this room wouldn't be full of squawking birds. It would be full of submitted saints saying, do your will, because your will is good. Just have a sense, Lord, that that for some reason is what you're looking for in our hearts tonight. I know it applies to all of us in general ways, but I just know there's a few here tonight who got your heart for them is that is what would please me. And I pray that's what you'd find. Be pleased. Be pleased. As you look down at the attitudes of our heart tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. We're gonna close with a song tonight. And as we do, uh, there's communion elements up front. If If you came in late and didn't get to take communion, now's still a great time just to reflect on the goodness of the Lord. May God just richly bless you today as you walk with him. But before we walk out that door... Let's take one song tonight and let's just pray this in and think this through and for your situation, let's come to that point. Lord, I know you're good and I know that you love me. Let's worship our King.
1: You stood before creation Eternity in your hands. You spoke the earth into motion. My soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. You stood before my failure. And carried the cross for my shame. My sin weight upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh God. Upon salvation, so I walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me my life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. What can I say? So, what can I say? What can I do But offer this heart, oh God Completely to you So I'll stand So I'll stand With all high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all and I'll stand my soul Lord to you surrender all I am is yours so I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned The one who gave it all Well I'll stand My soul Lord do you surrender All I am is yours So I'll stand So i stand With arms high And heart abandoned In awe of the one Who gave it all stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrender, all I am is yours, I stand, so I stand, with arms high and heart abandoned, in awe of the one who gave it all, I stand, my soul, Lord, All I am is yours. All I am, all I am is yours. All I am, all I am is yours.
0: Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Have a wonderful rest of your week in Jesus. Hope to see you this weekend.